0: It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just
1: whipped your ass.
0: Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night.
1: Monday, July 6th.
0: back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me,
1: Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all
0: along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azor. You can call this the New World Order of Wrestling, brother.
1: Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Welcome to another edition of Reliving the War, the podcast where we go through the Monday Night Wars as it happens, bit by bit, pay per view by pay per view, WWF versus WCW. We do it here exclusively on the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network. And go check out the entire back catalog at Grey Wolf ENT on the social medias. Check it out for yourself. My name is Nims Azor, joined as always by my tag team partner, Simon Tackler. Simon, we've often we often said when we've done these uh, little episodes of Reliving the War that there's so much stuff that you forget from the Attitude Era and the Monday Night War Era and I honestly cannot remember half of the stuff that happened
0: in this pay-per-view back in the day. Most of this pay-per-view to me felt brand new. (laughs) There were a couple of matches that I was like, oh, I remember this one, especially the main event, which we'll get to. But 80% I, 80% of this felt brand new.
1: Correct. So I fully agree with you 100%. And I'm going to p- point out something very interesting. We've often said that a WWF show back in the day had a lot of meat on the bone. Uh, whether It was either really short, so it was over and done with really quickly. If it was a long one, there was at least something good that you can like, you know, take a big chunk out of. WCW ones, it's the main event that makes or breaks it. And I feel that this is another great example of one of those uh, shows.
0: Yeah, and this was a really unique main event too. It didn't have Hulk Hogan in it. Um, is this, or or it didn't have Randy Savage either. So without them, this might be the first pay-per-view we've reviewed without either of those guys in the main event. So WCW took a risk here. They were so far ahead in the ratings and you know, in terms of brand awareness and how big they were. They almost took a risk here. I know Ric Flair has his return match, but in 1997, Ric Flair didn't mean what he did a few years before this. So this was still a risky main event.
1: Yeah, very much so. So much so because it actually has a non-wrestling. This show actually has two wrestling matches that don't have a professional wrestler in it per se. It's your celebrity sort of match too. But um, let's just get straight into it because we'll start off by just looking at the intro. Now, I don't know about you, but I thought we've often joked that it looks like a year 10 media project, these video intros that they do. But I thought this time around, They've stepped it up a notch. It's not as good as the WWF ones, but it's much better.
0: I really like this one too. I thought it stood out as well because it was the voiceover guy, you know, that WCW guy, and he explained the main event in detail, which was really good wasn't random voice bites and you know sound bites that if you weren't following like we've watched so many months where you just get these random promo bites and we don't know what they're talking about this one was laid out it was a six-man tag the wolf pack against kevin green roddy piper rick flair and the guy made it sound important and that's all he focused on wasn't too long but it was a lot better and a lot closer to a wwf intro from the time than we would normally see
1: do you reckon, because we've seen it well, while we watched the WWF pay-per-views, they've sort of nicked a couple of ideas from WCW in their presentation. Do you reckon this is a case of maybe like, and you know, we're almost a year into shows of reliving the war here, that someone in WCW sort of looked across the road and said, you know what, maybe we need to improve our intros because that's where we're really lacking.
0: I think so because, yeah, looking back at them, those Todd Pettengill voiced over WWF intros are fantastic and way better than anything WCW was doing.
1: Yeah. Now this show is in Charlotte, North Carolina. So flare flair country. This is another full house and they're going through the main event and throughout that video package. And this is where, you know, watching a WCW paper from 1997 in 2021 kind of has its drawbacks because the first thing I said was who the hell is Kevin Green? (laughs)
0: Yeah, I know. There's a lot of, like, fair enough when we look back and it's Mike Tyson or Dennis Rodman. (laughs) They've stood the test of time. But yeah, Kevin Green, don't know who he is.
1: Did not know. So for those playing at home, he's a NFL player. Now, did did he win a Super Bowl? Did he not win? Look, at this point in time, it doesn't really matter because he's in the main event. And they're making a very, very big deal about it. This kind of reminds me of early TNA where they would bring in NASCAR drivers and stuff like that. But like you mentioned, Simon, they are that far ahead in the war that they're just trying anything at the moment.
0: There are two NFL football players on this show, or technically three because of Mongo. So they're basically selling this show on like, hey, we've got guys who don't wrestle wrestling. Watch it. (laughs) They're confident enough to do that.
1: Yeah, so I can't even remember the name of the second wrestler, but uh the second NFL player, but we'll probably get to that. But oh, we'll let's start him. off, let's start off with our opening match. It's a TV title match. Steven Regal versus Ultimate Dragon. Ultimo dragon, still called Ultimate Dragon here. He is the TV title champion, uh, the TV champion at the moment, which I found amusing because Prince Ikea seemed to have a stranglehold in that belt. And it's only during the match that they explain how ultimate dragon has that match <laughs> ah, sorry has that title whereas like a throw episode of nitro where prince ikea lost the belt but um all i gotta say is from the minute the music starts and Stephen regal comes out regal looks exactly the same as he did in 2001
0: we've said it before we couldn't believe how young regal is in this era he's in his 20s but he looks like my dad did who was probably in his like <laughs> 15 years older than him. Yeah, it's it's just weird. I don't understand William Regal. Or no, just Stephen Regal at just the time. Stephen. Did you know Lord? Yeah, I kept hearing that. I was like, what are they talking about? They kept saying, oh, don't call him Lord, just call him Stephen. Did he lose his Lordship in a match?
1: Apparently not, because from the... He just decided, I don't want to be called Lord. Like, there was no backstory to it. It was just kind of like... Don't call him Lord. Don't call him Lord. And he's like, why?
0: why? Yeah. <laughs> he didn't get anything. pinned by, you know, Vincent or something on Nitro. And now he's Lord Vincent, like the King of the Ring can be transferred. Yeah. It was really weird.
1: It was so odd. But, and the fact that commentary kept typing it because obviously they kept stumbling and calling him Stephen, uh, Lord Stephen, Lord Stephen. And it was like, no, 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 no. And it was so funny because Tony Schiavone kept bringing it up too. He's like, he's not Lord anymore. <laughs>
0: It really weird. uh, And it wasn't like uh, a character thing where Regal was all of a sudden, you know, this badass guy. He was still Lord Steven Regal. There was nothing different. Exactly
1: the same character there too. But uh, look, what was interesting too, like because we've normally seen the Barnburner WTW cruiserweight matches to start off, Rey Mysterio doing some great stuff, Uh, Psychosis, Hoover Guerrero, the Luchadors coming out and the Cruiserweights is ripping it up. We start off the pay-per-view with chain wrestling.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it was it was west. it wasn't too bad. Like it was good wrestling and you know, the WCW crowd at the time was sort of they expected this. Mm. You know, they weren't too turned off by it. The only weird thing is that the, the Charlotte, North Carolina was very pro Regal.
1: Extremely pro Regal. I couldn't I've actually I've actually um written down here Regal chant. Question mark, question mark, question mark. Like yeah, they are they are treating him like he's a member of the Horsemen here too. And a, a throwaway line that I thought was quite hilarious was Dusty Rhodes saying, "The TV champ is the hardest worker because he's defending the title on TV all the time," which. Never happened.
0: They always say that, like the TV champ has to defend the title every week, but no one ever commits to that. Maybe they did in the 70s or something. But even like the modern equivalent um, in AEW with the TNT title, they sort of said that this would be defended every week in the same way that the TV title was. That doesn't happen either. No one can commit to the TV title run.
1: Yeah, it's always like someone someone goes, wait a minute, that's 52 weeks of consecutive. (laughs) No, I'll pass. I'll pass. Thank you very much. But uh, look, it was very different to your usual WCW uh, pay-per-view opener. But I got to say, it actually wasn't too bad. It was nice having a bit of, and I'm going to put this down to the fact you got two very talented performers in Regal and Dragon here because they really had a bond. It was a clash of styles, but it worked.
0: This is almost what Regal's matches with Prince Iakea should have been. I feel like Regal thought those matches would be like this. He's like, oh, yeah, young, small, athletic guy. I think I can do something. And he couldn't. So they put the TV title on Ultimo and said, all right, do what you thought you were going to (laughs) do.
1: 100%. Because that's literally basically what happened there. But uh, look, Regal gets the win. Wins the TV title here, but there is a little bit of interference from Sonny Ono and a weird sort of turn on Ultimo Dragon 2 where he kicks him in the back of the head. Personally, I absolutely loved Sonny Ono as a manager back in the day. This sort of highlights why, but uh, overall, I quite enjoy this match.
0: Yeah, I didn't mind it at all. It was, you know, a slower technical match, but it was kind of more modern than what you would normally see in a WCW match. This would almost fit in with today's wrestling. A lot of suplexes, chain wrestling, you know, luchador style moves. Although at one point, Mike Tanay, you know, the luchador expert, just buried Ultimo Dragon. And he said, oh, a lot of the moves Dragon normally does uh, to guys like Dean Malenko and Ray Mysterio won't work on William Regal. All right, well, cool. Him. Then what do you want him to do? <laughs> yeah, a commentator would never say that now. Imagine they did that. Like, oh, Kenny Omega's Hurricane Rana, that'll never work on anyone.
1: Like- yeah, exactly. But, um, look, it was a great opener to start off, very different, but I thought that got a big thumbs up. In the case of most WCW pay-per-views, they always kill momentum with the second match because (laughs) this time around we had Luna Vachon take on Medusa. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but is this the first Caucasian female that Medusa has faced on pay-per-view in the time that we've been watching and doing Reliving the War?
0: I think it is. Unfortunately, after such a focus on the Joshi, the, the women wrestlers from Japan... We've seen they thought, nah, this isn't working for us. Charlotte, North Carolina. We want two American women. And that's what we got here. In the most mid-90s women's match ever, Medusa and Luna Vachon. Like, this is it for women's wrestling at the time.
1: And that's what I've written down here. I mean, it's a pretty meh match. It's not bad by any means. But the standards for women's wrestling has just been kicked up so much. Even by late WC, uh, WWF 1999, where you had, like, Sable and Jacqueline. And Jacqueline actually gets involved. Well, she doesn't really get involved in this. Actually, no, she doesn't. Not in this
0: match. She just walks out at some point yeah. of the pay-per-view.
1: Yeah, because it's not like she does her. It's, it's the old, you know, let's stand stand at the front. And and then everyone's so. <laughs> wrestling is one of the only things where, you know, like, could you imagine if, say, you know, you're a baker, and you're you're baking bread, and all of a sudden, a rival baker just stands at the entrance <laughs> to your shop, and you just stop baking and just look at him and start smack
0: talking him. Wrestling is the only place where that happens. Baker's delight, and then at the door, oh my god, it's John from Brumbies. No, he's standing like, yeah, it's like, and
1: it's like the baker's delight, dude. It's like,
0: get out of here. What are you doing? Here? <laughs> what are you and doing? Just, yeah.
1: And then gets rolled up in a small package. <laughs> But look, it, it's it's a pretty nothing match, which is a shame because we know how talented Luna Vachon and Medusa are. To be fair, the crowd is into it. Um, yeah. Medusa is probably their only star at the time. And I think, as bad as it sounds, the WCW crowd was probably just glad to have a wrestler they know.
0: Yeah, I think they were kind of into it because, you know, Medusa was sort of always made up to be a big deal, which she was, like, one of the bright spots. Of women's wrestling in America in the you know early to mid-90s. This match, though, it mm-hmm. kind of felt like it was really short. That's almost why it didn't work either. It only went around five minutes. But this felt like one foot in each era. They did some really good stuff yeah. in terms of like hard clotheslines and chops and German suplexes, but then they still did a lot of the old style. Uh, fabulous Moolah type women's wrestling. Remember for, for, for you yeah, know, I guess, hair, pulling and, hair pulling and certain yeah. weird moves that for some reason women had to do. Like, oh, yeah, they did a yeah. forearm. It's a women's match. They did a hair yeah. man. It's a women's match. Yeah. So it, it was kind of torn in that um, sense. Also, typical women's match bullshit that we would see years later where they wouldn't take mm. it seriously and talk about other things. In this five-minute match, the match is short enough, but the commentators still used it as a chance to plug WCW.com. A giant graphic. It wasn't even a lower third. It was 50% of the screen. It just said (laughs) WCW.com. And Tony Schiavone, I guess because they didn't know how to sell the internet yet, he was like, oh, yeah, folks at home, if you've got the internet, log on to the website and you can listen to the audio commentary of the show. If i paid fifty dollars in nineteen ninety seven to watch this show, why would yeah. I listen to audio only? I thought that yeah, was really- a, m-
1: a mono real audio player, and where well, you couldn't see the picture and it would probably be buffering about <laughs> like, so long.
0: It's probably yeah, ten it- minutes behind and just real choppy. And You're they right. didn't know how. What's the selling point at that stage? How do you sell it?
1: In that context, too, because clearly the only way you can see this ad is if you're watching the pay per view. That's and if what you've I mean. The
0: you've, I've never thought of it like that. It's pointless. And also, you can't even say, oh, but for the people on home video. No, if I'm watching it three months later on video, there's no audio commentary. It's, yeah. So bizarre. I also want to point out, at the end of the match when Medusa won, normally sometimes she would do this during a match. She did it as her celebration. She got on the top rope and ripped off her outer top. She wears two tops. So Mm -hmm. she ripped off the outer top to a massive pop, and she started waving her shirt around. I was kind of torn. At first, I was like, oh, don't why are they degrading Medusa? But then I thought, you know what? No, good on her. Because... Jeff Hardy takes his shirt off to get a cheat pop from the women. You know, all guys would do that. Kevin Nash would take down his straps and get the ladies to cheat. Angle too. Angle too. So, you know what? We can't look at it and say, oh, that was sexist. Medusa Mm. is just getting the cheat pop like the guys would. And And Medusa did that in
1: every match, yeah.
0: Yeah, Medusa would do it all the time. It was like, oh, Hulk Hogan, he ripped his shirt off Mm. too. This was Medusa's Hulk up. but. Mean Gene was out at the entrance to do the promo coming up next when Medusa was coming back um, from the match, and he goes, oh, Medusa walking back to the locker room, and then he, like, looks up and down, he was clearly looking at her, (laughs) and he goes, whoa, very attractive indeed, like... (laughs)
1: And he does it no in that mean in that mean gene sort of way. So, but yeah, that's a great segue to take it's us great. to another mean gene hotline segment. He shills the hotline. And what's quite a is I always love the indignation that Mean Gene had whenever a wrestler interrupted his, his plug of the hotline, because <laughs> Macho Man Randy Savage rudely interrupts him and then does a weird like NWO roll call. He's like, it's like Virgil? Uh, and he just goes through all the names like, Prof Bagwell, Scott Norton, And He's like, what are you doing? You're just running through the name of every NWO member
0: here? Of the worst NWO <laughs> members. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, the black and white era uh, NWO. But yeah, he, then he starts cutting a promo on DDP. DDP comes in through the crowd carrying a busted crutch. And we've said it before, DDP is peak DDP. But this is like, he is so on
0: fire at the moment. Yep, yeah, he's got the blue jeans on. He's got that awesome diamond T-shirt. Like, this is DDP. He even had his um, ribs taped when the shirt yeah. came off. This is the DDP that's, like, burnt into my brain. What a segment. When he came out and sneak attacked the NWO with that crutch, the crowd lost their minds. Like, I think we've noticed the DDP segments on these pay-per-views, the Lex Luger segments, the Sting segments, I know sort of you look back and you say, oh, WCW didn't build stars and the NWO were the only big thing. Those WCW guys on the, you know, traditional side, it mm. was huge.
1: It was mega. This was a huge segment. So when you talk about how this is the DDP that is ingrained into everyone's memory, all I could think of when I was watching this paper was like, "Ah, oh, it's his WCW NWO revenge outfit.
0: Exactly. <laughs> That's part <laughs> of
1: it. <laughs> Because for a lot of people, like this is back in the day where, you know, you had very simplistic graphics, but DDP was like a walking video game character. And that was that was his primary costume, his player one costume that he was out and about. But like you said, this is a fantastic segment. Him taking out the NWO is great. WCW always did these little pay-per-view promo segments well, I thought. Like we saw earlier, a couple of months ago, uh, in the lead up to Starcade, where they did with Piper doing that, um, the one where the NWO, like, you know, destroying his hip. This one was really, really good. It showed what, the other thing that I loved. DDP was no chicken. Like, he actually took it to the NWA, and it was then the age-old numbers game, and then the pop and the giant comes out to save him. He's a mess.
0: Yeah, and it was it was good to see because for a while, the crowd was chanting, we want Sting, but then the giant came out, and they didn't care that it wasn't Sting. They were happy that the good guy got saved, and I know in modern times, if something similar happens, the crowd might boo and say, oh, well, we didn't get the person specifically we cheered for. But no, they loved it. They loved the giant coming out. Sting wasn't even on this show and it didn't matter. Like, yeah, yeah, this segment was really good. And and it's weird. As a kid, I was always team NWO. I didn't like mm. WCW guys because I didn't know them. But watching it back as an adult, I can get into the story and appreciate <laughs> the WCW heroes more. So this was fun.
1: Yeah, and it was r- such a good pop, such a good segment. But that leads us to our next match, which is Yuji Ayasa- Yasura Oka, uh versus Rey Mysterio. Now, Rey gets the full entrance. Uh, Yasura Oka is in the ring like a jobber.
0: <laughs> mm, I had no idea who this guy was. So I Googled him. He wrestled for war in Japan, which is war and romance, where Chris Jericho wrestled. Um, He retired, and all his Wikipedia says about his retirement is Yuji was a motorcycle enthusiast. So when he retired, he became a motorcycle mechanic. There's no citation there, but I'm going to believe it because I hope he's a better motorcycle mechanic than he is a wrestler because, God damn, this match.
1: I was going to say to you, this is a plain match. race. I've, I've written down here, uh, Ray's taking on a bootleg wrestler from WCW NWO Revenge, <laughs> so much so that if you notice this, Yasura Oka actually looks like an unmasked
0: Aki man <laughs> from those games. <laughs> it does. That's what his outfit looked like. It was white with the red and yellow and blue, and I was like, these colours look familiar. <laughs> Yeah, it was
1: terrible. He's Aki man so hopefully he got a royalty check from his appearance (laughs) at WCW or revenge.
0: That's what the makers of the game said. Who is the most (laughs) nondescript wrestler with the most boring look and boring moves? That dude. Let's make it after him.
1: Uh, And it was just so, like I said, it it wasn't a bad match, but it was just so, so boring. Ray (laughs) gets the win, but it is nothing (laughs) to write home
0: about. I missed like, about 10 minutes of it. I literally zoned out. I was sitting on the couch and just missed it. I was like, oh my God, I took no notes for most of this match.
1: I was actually, I, I could do one worse than you. I was actually on because I was trying to, I was trying to come up with I'm like who which random wrestler in WCW <laughs> NW Revenge would he be? And I'm like going through the fake wrestlers they had all the way out the back and it was yep. like, then I saw Aki Man. I'm like, <laughs> so that was that was the entire thing looking at WCW Revenge in a Rey Mysterio match. So yeah, unfortunately, look, it wasn't a bad match. It just was a, a nothing match.
0: Yeah, I think as great as Rey Mysterio is, and we've sung his praises, I'll still say he's one of the best ever, because you know, 30 years in, he's still as good as ever. He can have a good match with anyone. But they thought he was a miracle worker. Giving him this guy and giving him Prince Iakea on pay per views, not even Rey Mysterio can do that. Like, the only highlight that Rey had was yeah, he hit the, you know, West Coast pop, great move. But no, Rey Mysterio's tan was the exact color of his golden outfit. That was the only <laughs> takeaway I had. Like, Rey was a golden god in this match, but it was all for I- it was
1: just like, it, it was just, it felt like this dragged on forever and ever. This is the
0: ever, worst so. Rey Mysterio match we've seen. This is worse than the IAKA ones. Definitely, definitely, because at least Prince
1: IAK, you knew who he was. <laughs> and and this guy was just like, this is, this felt like a
0: dark match. Yeah, it's not good. It was
1: just, it's Rey Mysterio versus local talent.
0: Yeah, like <laughs> a tryout for that guy. Like, oh, we'll put him with Ray. see if he can work. No
1: yeah you know if you can hang with that yeah like <laughs> yeah so it was to put it on on f- for those that like you're not going to hunt this one down we'll put it that way you yeah, know but- how people w- would hunt down those random matches on like wwf uh, Metal or wwf jacked <laughs> yeah. and be like oh this is a di- this is an american dragon match where he goes up against cena on velocity or it's aj styles versus the hurricane no one no one in the history of mankind is going to go you should really check out that Ramus Mysterio versus Yuji Yasura, Yasura Oka match.
0: Do not, do not hunt this down.
1: Yeah, it's an odd one. But uh, we then get into our next match, which is Mortis versus Glacier. This one's like a very Mortal Kombat style match because <laughs> Mortis, first off, gets an intro. He gets green text on his little nameplate. Glacier comes
0: out. He's got blue text. I like that. I actually think that's a good touch. And no promotion's ever committed to it until WWE recently. In modern times, guys have custom nameplates. So that's one production thing that WCW was ahead of the game with, which was kind of cool because these guys aren't normal wrestlers. They are Mortal Kombat characters. So why not?
1: Yeah, this is Reptile versus Sub-Zero. It's two (laughs) pallet swap wrestlers going up against each other. Um, The the bit that it wasn't even really a match because Wrath comes out and just- Very quickly. Yeah, just cleans house now. Glacier does get a bit of offense in until Wrath causes the DQ. But um, what I thought was really cool—that stood out for me—Mortis does this move, uh, sort of off the apron with Glacier's head, where he sort of does like a lip, like a rocker dropper onto the stairs. It, it was sits, pretty cool.
0: Yeah, sits on the back of his head and drives it into the steps. It was very cool. And again, was- Mortis under the mask is Chris Canyon who, you know, was called the innovator of offense for years. He came up with a lot of cool stuff.
1: Very much so. And Wrath still being, Wrath um, was is um, Adam Bomb. Was it Adam Bomb? Or- Adam Bomb, yep.
0: Brian yeah. Clark.
1: Yeah, Brian Clark here uh, came out too. This is pre his NWO because Wrath, not Wrath, but Brian Adams, you know, Brian Clark, did he join the NWO? <laughs> Brian no, Adams,
0: joined no. the Adams did. Brian Adams, <laughs> Adams did. Brian Clark. <laughs> kept being Rath, had an awesome unbeaten streak. Everyone thought he was the next Goldberg, and then Nash just beat him for no reason on the way to Starcade 98, and then Rath eh, middled around. But then the two Bryans became Chronic Chronic got yeah. super over at the end of WCW. Everyone thought Chronic were really cool, um, and then they went to WWE, had the worst match ever with the Brothers of Destruction and were fired immediately.
1: Yeah, had, the best part about Kronix, uh, Brian Adams and Brian Clark's run in WWF, is clearly Brian Adams and The Undertaker are allegedly very good friends outside of the ring. So, obviously, Undertaker's like, hey, come do the match with me and Glenn. It'll be great. You know, it'll be awesome. We'll get Stephen Richards involved as well. And then it just stank up the joint so much. like...
0: Hey, look, man, I tried. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, you know, Vince would have said, "I know you like those guys. They're old. We got rid of them already. I'm going to give you one chance with them." And he's like, "Trust me, it'll be great." And then it wasn't great.
1: Uh, it was actually very, very awful. But I actually
0: I did some research on Brian Clark because I I don't mean any disrespect, but for some reason. Brian Clark feels like a wrestler who should be dead. And I know that sounds sad, but he's one of those guys where anytime I think of him every couple of years, I'm like, he died, didn't he? He didn't. He's still no. alive. And
1: not only is he still alive. I'm wondering if you're if you if you're, um, Googling, pick this one up too. He's still spruiking Atom Bomb merch.
0: Yeah, he is. He's re sort of embraced that gimmick out of all the gimmicks he had is like Adam bomb is what he loves. Maybe that's the only one he sort of has the rights to or whatever. But anyway, last year he was arrested on five felony charges relating to conspiracy, drug possession, illegal control of enterprise and transporting and possessing weapons and narcotics. But then get this only. Two months ago, so this went on for a whole year, mm. June 18, 2021, all charges were dismissed. Brian Clark's entire case was thrown out. So here I was thinking this guy was, you know, a felon and yeah. this big-time criminal. They had nothing on him.
1: Yeah. He, he must have uh, won a, you know, freedom on a pole match or something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, going back to the match, it's it's... It's really strange because the cat Ern- Ernest Miller just jumps the guardrail. And now this is, is this the first appearance of the cat Ernest Miller. He's not called the cat. I should point out we, that's what we all know him as. But because they start saying, "Oh, is this a fan? A fan's jumped the guardrail and has taken out Mortis and taken out some um, Wrath." It was almost like they all went like, you know, oh, we'll say it's a fan. Then like, no, we probably shouldn't say that fans can jump yeah, yeah. guardrail. <laughs> just just say who it is. is.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, also no, like. No joke, Ernest Miller's kicks were one of the highlights of the show. Mm. My God, his kicks looked good. Like, I know every wrestler now does these martial arts kick, and 50% of them don't look good at all. Ernest Miller's kicks looked amazing.
1: They looked really shoot. They really did look like... It looked like he literally did kick Mortis in the head because Mortis he went did. down like a sack.
0: But the crazy thing is, what makes it more impressive, he wasn't just doing like a sidekick or whatever. He was doing these jumping, spinning sort of like Taekwondo Mm -hmm. kicks and connecting like they looked awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And the crowd was totally. Look, we we shouldn't take that away from this, even though it was a short match with the, you know, Ernest Miller stuff at the end. The crowd was wild for this compared to Ray and Yuji. So, yeah. Thumbs up.
1: they were so into it too, and and WCW did that kind of well too. You forget, like you know, everyone often laughs at how like oh, then they ripped off Sub Zero from Mortal Kombat. Mm. Glacier was huge. It's pretty fun. Then, in one of the best bits of the pay per view for me, the announcers. So the commentary team throws to Mean Gene, who shills the hotline, and then throws back to the commentary desk. <laughs>
0: It was weird. And what was he even shilling? Wasn't he? He kept talking about, you won't believe who's leaving WCW. We never find that out. Because remember I was saying, I think Mean Gene's hotline shills are a tease for what's coming up in the story. I don't think we ever figured out who left no. WCW here.
1: Now, this part, this part, we, it just becomes a mystery. At this point in time, I think he's just making up rumors <laughs> the, uh, and just going, you know, get your parents permission. But, yeah. yeah, it's give me money. It's, it's, yeah. It's an odd one there. And, if if my memory serves me correctly, did he not get a cut of the hotline deals?
0: He did. It was his business. Yeah.
1: Yes. So no wonder he said he probably like ran out to, ran out of gorilla and they're like, Quick, throw to me, guy, throw
0: to me. Oh, that's why he came out right after the women's match. He was like, Don't chill this website. I didn't get any money from that. Tell us about the <laughs> yeah, hotline. Exactly. Uh,
1: speaking of which, it was $1.19 a minute. A so dollar nineteen a minute, that's that's an incredible price back in uh, nineteen ninety-seven. But I know
0: the joke look- in The Simpsons when like Homer calls that betting hotline, it was like mm. you have called, you know. And <laughs> yeah. Did you that's ever right, call yeah. one of these wrestling hotlines? Never. There was
1: there was huge ones though, because I used to remember there used to be one where it would always be like, get all the rumors, and it was the cheapest looking ad because it just had the number and like the weird kaleidoscope looking sort of thing.
0: Yeah, and like photos of not American wrestlers, just like, Mm -hmm. you know, get all your pro wrestling rumors of (laughs) these random muscly guys. I did call it once in like the year 1999 from my grandma's house on their phone. And it absolutely (laughs) was a pre-recorded guy talking really slow. I forget the specifics, but all I remember, it was something about the big boss man. Mm. Actually, it might have been the big boss man jumping back to the WWE in 1998, could which work. really could. didn't make sense Like to me as a kid. I was like, why would the big what boss man doing? go back to WWF? And then he did. But yeah.
1: I like to think um, that that was Crackerjack probably running that hotline. <laughs>
0: I'm sure it was someone involved in Australian wrestling. We should do some <laughs> some digging and find out who was involved.
1: <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so being Jean chills the hotline again, and then we get to our next match, uh, Jeff Jarrett versus Dean Malenko. Now, I've written this down. I love Jeff Jarrett. He's one of my favorite wrestlers. In fact, he is my favorite wrestler from the WCW era, to the point that we are... Uh, that he refers to me as his Twitter friend, uh, and that's that's an actual thing. We've interviewed Jeff to Simon, and he's been a lovely human being. Like you, just can't get over how much of a good dude Jeff Jarrett is. Mm. But a technical masterpiece and a technical wrestling classic technician, he's not.
0: Oh, Absolutely see. Uh- not. I always defend Jeff Jarrett, like always. I'll always say he's underrated. He's very, very good. I thought this match was pretty good. It wasn't that exciting. Not up against Dean Malenko, though.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was good. These guys have had a couple of good ones. I think that they had a better one maybe around a year ago or something. But this was still fine to me. What, what, if anything got got in the way of this match? It's the same thing that's gotten in the way of all of these Jeff Jarrett matches. What's going on with him being a horseman? Why is him, him, Deborah, and Mongo feels like it's a never-ending loop of briefcases (laughs) and are they friends, are they not? Why do we care? I just, yeah, I don't understand any of it.
1: So Jarrett is a member of the horseman. They say that he's a member of the horseman, yet the crowd in horseman
0: country turn on him so easily. Well, they say he's a horseman, but he doesn't come out to the cool horseman music. He comes out mm. to his country song. He does the dumb strut like he is a heel where the other guys are positioned as faces at this point. I don't get it.
1: Yeah, so Mongo gets involved here. It's a back and forth match. And look, it's 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 not bad. It's it's tolerable. Mm. But it's definitely not like yeah, your, your Malenko, um Eddie Guerrero sort of Matt classics. It's just like Jeff. Get, look, you're trying to hang with Dean, and it's just not working, bro. I have nothing but, um,
0: else to add to it. Like that's all I had. Yeah. I have no other notes. All I had was Mongo comes out Mongo and takes appears? Deborah, and that's it. Yeah,
1: I've just written down a bit of Mongo interference, basically cost you out the win.
0: Yeah. Okay. Cool look, look. This. I, I think him and Jeff had a better one. But for Malenko specifically, this might be Malenko's worst pay-per-view match we've watched. Like, it's fine, but all the 96 pay-per-views we reviewed, Malenko was the MVP, like, most oh. of the time.
1: 100%. This is this is Dean Malenko, and this is going to sound very harsh, but this is Dean Malenko's Rey Mysterio versus Yuji match. Mm. Yeah. Uh, oh, actually, that's a bit harsh. We'll say it's his Rey Mysterio versus Prince IK match. <laughs> 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 yeah. Uh, we... <laughs> We then move on to our next match, which is a death match, which is basically just a last man standing match. It's Chris Benoit versus Meng. Uh, it's it's an it's an awkward match to watch for obvious reasons, but um, stiff, very very stiff. It, it starts off very slow though; like they almost take a while to get into it because there's a bit of, you know, dancing around each other, and it's a really really slow start. But once they get into it, these guys just beat the ever loving crap out of each other. Like, yeah. shoot beat the crap out of each other.
0: I didn't mind the slow start because I felt like the crowd was into it. The, like Benoit got a big pop from the crowd. Unlike Jeff Jarrett, they were mm. into Benoit being a horseman. And I think they sort of stalled, built the tension. Could Benoit overcome Meng who was, you know, a lot bigger than him. Mm. They told a good story. I really like this match. And, you know, I'm sort of iffy about Benoit at this time in his career. Sometimes it's boring. I thought this was good. One thing about it, though, that kind of stood out, they called it a death match, and I know you said it was sort of like a last man standing match. It doesn't end Mm -hmm. with a 10 count just to make it even weirder. And when you hear death match in a modern context, you at least expect weapons. I know I think an old death match, too, you would expect weapons or anything. This is a match. It's not a death match. Yeah.
1: Yeah, there is no weapons at all, in fact. Like they don't even no. like pull a chair out or anything. There's nothing. No, there is. This is just a stock standard match.
0: They barely um, go outside of the ring.
1: Hmm. They Weird. they just. It just looks like it's a. It's if anything, it's just a fight. It's just <laughs> yeah, all it is,
0: which is good. If they said this is a fight and Meng has been sent by Kevin Sullivan to beat up Benoit. That's the story, and there was enough there. You told us it was a death match, and I, the whole time I was expecting, yeah, a table or a chair or anything, but oh no. It's not even anything aerial here either. It's no. literally just, just straight, oh, you know. There was one aerial move, actually. Benoit, hit a, I- Benoit hit a suicide dive, and... Tony Schiavone, this is aged badly, unintentionally. He said, we call it a suicide dive and never was it more apparent than right there. But- oh, oh you've taken me out of it now.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit like that because it, the match was also taken out a little bit because Chris Ben Benoit loses this match after being choked out by the Tongan death grip. Uh, one thing that I will point out is like, We all laugh at the Dungeon of Doom, you know, like, oh, they had a Yeti. They had, you know, John Tenter as a shark and all that sort of stuff. Conan, for some reason.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he never
1: fits. (laughs) But, um, But the Faces of Fear... Meng and Barbarian were actually too legit. Like they, you felt like they were, you know, people talk about how like the Dudleys had that old school toughness. People talk about the nasty boys, but there was just something about Meng and Barbarian. The Faces of Fear felt legit.
0: Yeah, they were good. I feel like anytime we've seen them on pay-per-view, it's always surprisingly good. Hard-hitting. Whether it was, you know, with the Steiners or the Nasty Boys or the Outsiders or this match here, Meng and Barbarian were sort of, yeah, under the radar like workhorses in this era. Very,
1: very cool. But, yeah, look, it was an interesting match to watch. I I thought it was a good ending, too, because it showed how tough Benoit is. It also really, really showed just how much of a killer, pardon the pun,
0: um, Meng could be because literally he, he put him to sleep. And he catches him. We we sort of didn't explain that. Benoit went for yeah. the diving headbutt and Meng caught him by the throat in the Tongan death grip, which was mm. so and good. Kept what it latched on. Awesome ending. Yeah, just kept it latched on. And Benoit gave up, even though that's not how a Texas death match, which is what we assume this was with a 10 count works.
1: Strange, so strange. But uh, look, it was a decent match there. We then get into our a shield for the next baby, the great American bash commercial. I love the it's 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 an ad campaign as old as time. But wrestlers at a barbecue, inviting the listener in, is one of my favorite tropes.
0: Yeah, we had DDP and the Steiner brothers and Kimberly, and they were saying things that I couldn't really hear or understand. I think the audio was just real bad. But DDP was so over the top. I don't think you could get DDP in any other like form. He's always hundred percent DDP.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's no, there's no half measures with DDP here. He's all bro this, bro that. <laughs>
0: hey, monkey and- <laughs> boy, welcome to the barbecue. It's like, What yeah. do you want me to talk like, about? What that? do you want about? <laughs> are you being? Are you
1: like being complimentary? Are you insulting <laughs> me? What's going on here? But yeah, so strange that. But uh, we get to our next match, which is a bit of an interesting one: Conan and Hugh Morris versus the Steiner brothers. I don't care what anyone says. Steiner line is an underrated theme song. <laughs>
0: Steinerline um, Sting's old classic Surface Sting music, yeah, and Lex Luger's, they're all very similar, but they're all awesome. Like WCW yeah. for a while had a nice vibe of cheesy rock songs. It was good.
1: The thing I love about Lex Luger's music as well too, it just, it just starts. Like it's like <laughs> yeah, someone it just keeps playing the tape without rewinding it. It's
0: just like, whoa, whoa, we're doing this? <laughs> but that's Lex Luger. Just <laughs> yeah. see, It's Lex Luger. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for but, uh, the longest time, I didn't even know the lyrics to this song were Steiner Line. I thought she was pronouncing Steiner Brothers weird. Yeah. <laughs> I always thought it was Steiner Brothers or something. I didn't realize that they were saying Steiner Line. So.
1: Well, the part that doesn't make sense is there is no, like, if there was a double team move or something called the Steiner Line, they don't do any moves called the Steiner Line. <laughs>
0: clothesline would sometimes be called a Steiner line, but not... That's a Doomsday in, device. Not enough to say, to write the song about. <laughs> I reckon so Scott, funny. when Scott left Rick, you know, spoiler alert for what we're going to eventually <laughs> see, he yeah. should have said, hey man, our finisher is always the Frankensteiner. That should have been uh, the name of the uh, song.
1: I, yeah. like you, I like how you put a disclaimer there, because if anyone's seen Big Pop Pump in the yeah. last 20 years... <laughs>
0: It is weird uh, that we've had Big Papa Pump way longer than we ever had original Scott Steiner.
1: Yeah, it is crazy. And for those that haven't seen what Big Papa Pump looks like now, I think someone on Reddit described it as Scott Steiner in 2020 and I'm assuming 2021, looks like the creator wrestler that you just put every tattoo on. (laughs) Yes.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and they all look fake. Like, the red on his heart looks really fake, like it was uh, a creator wrestler sticker.
1: It looks so strange. He's even got the Angel Wins Wings yeah. tattooed in his back. It's just, he's it so generic creator wrestler. But He's
0: you know. had a 30-year midlife crisis. <laughs> he started <laughs> by bleaching his hair. Then he wore the sunnies. Then he started hanging out with younger women. And then 20 years later, he's like, I'm getting a chest tattoo. Now I'm getting <laughs> Angel Wings. Like, he just kept going. He's like, stop. He,
1: he just kept going. What's actually quite amusing, so we're, we're diversing here a little bit, but I feel like everyone needs to do this. There is a match from, like, I think it was 2016, where he takes on, uh, yeah, it's 2016, and he takes on Jeff Jarrett in, not Jeff Jarrett, sorry, uh, Jerry the King Lawler in, like, an independent show. Because Jerry Lawler still does indie shows right now as we speak. Anyway, even after the heart attack. He He literally
0: wrestled Enzo Amore in a casket match. I saw that pop up as a news story, and I was like, really? Yes, it really happened.
1: Yeah, and we're talking. This happened like literally last weekend, so very, very recent. Anyway, the best part about it is, so he takes on Jerry, Jerry the King. Law does a fireball, does his usual kitten to bootle, and uh, I don't, I can't remember who wins. But Scott Steiner comes out, uh, and his Titantron is his WWE one. <laughs> but clearly, someone has downloaded this because you could still see at the very bottom of the Titantron the Windows media from, like, Windows Vista, <laughs> the play button, because someone's clearly put the mouse towards the bottom of the screen,
0: so it's yeah. still there. That is <laughs> All awesome. The,
1: uh, but, look, getting back to this match, Hugh Morris is dressed like the Riddler here, as is the style of the time, <laughs> and <laughs> it's just a hoss fight. It is. But for big four, do, big four beefy dudes... They actually do some pretty like high flying cruiserweighty sort of matches. It's very fast paced.
0: Yeah, this wasn't a long match. It was really short, but it was fun while it lasted. Lots of suplexes, lots of clotheslines. The crowd's kind of into it. Conan, Conan is the odd man out. Almost <laughs> Conan. Conan <laughs> yes. is the odd man out. Conan, really O'Brien is. would be the odd man out. But anyway, Conan can't keep up with any of these guys. Looking back, like, Conan in 1997 wrestles like an old man. Like, I don't get it. He's so good as a character. Like, he's awesome at everything. But in the ring trying to do this sort of stuff, (laughs) no.
1: Just no. I never understood the appeal. Like, Conan, to me, always seemed just like, until he hooked up with the filthy animals, he just seemed out of place in the NWO. come on. In the wolf
0: pack he fit in.
1: Well, in the wolf pack he fit in, yeah. yeah, But he just always felt. Weird. Like the Wolfpack, he did because they were like Nash went for that sort of like, you know, West Coast uh, hip hop sort yeah. of thing, which which fits Conan to
0: an absolute T. Mm.
1: Whereas him with the NWO Black and White was just
0: odd. Well, him with the Dungeon of Doom was odd. Like he never really fit in until the Wolfpack. That's when it got rolling. But this match, him and Hugh Morris being in the Dungeon of Doom, it was just, just weird. And this was the end of it, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was because uh, Scott Steiner ends the match with a Frankensteiner. Still an amazing feat because Scott Steiner still is very, very bulky here. Like, he's not quite big pop a pump, but he's well on his way to it. He's still, he's still, like, look at him in the WWF and look at him now. He has put on a lot of pounds.
0: But by this point, He might as well be Big Papa Pump. Like, it's really funny because when he bleached his hair and started wearing just the shorts, we were like, oh, my God, look how big Scott Steiner is. But actually, when you look at him here, you're like, oh, yeah, he's always like, it wasn't like, oh, no, Scott Steiner just now started taking allegedly steroids. Like, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. He's well on his way. The transition is right there. All he has to do is pull down the straps, bleach the hair, grow a goatee and wear some sunnies. You there? And you then start screaming expletives into a live mic and you've basically got Big Papa Pump here. But, um, yeah, Conan cracks the sads at the end, takes out Hugh Morris, and that is the end of that, I'm guessing.
0: Yeah, that's it. Conan finally can go and be, you know, I think he maybe forms the LWO soon. I don't know. I'm looking forward to see how Conan ends up in the NWO. I guess he Mm -hmm. joins the NWO first before forming the Latino world order. LW, funniest, the funny part about him breaking up with Hugh at the end was Jimmy Hart was their manager because they were part of the Dungeon of Doom. But Jimmy Hart screaming Conan, you said it was blood in, blood out. Like, just <laughs> Jimmy Hart using this <laughs> gang terminology was so funny. <laughs> just, it was just you said it was blood in, blood out.
1: Especially because like, Jimmy Hart, even his like, has not changed. Like he's still the same Jimmy Hart you remember. With the, he's almost like Fonzie at the moment. Like that's how much of a parody of himself he is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when I say Fonzie, I mean like ECW Fonzie. Not Fonzer, <laughs> right.
0: really. He was never <laughs> as cool as <laughs> the Fonz.
1: Uh We get to our next match, and this is an odd one here. It's Steve McMichael versus Reggie White, and um, Reggie White also gets a coloured font. If you're asking who is Reggie White, he's a Green Bay Packers player, and um, look. Uh, Where do we start with this one, Simon? Because this, this match makes LT versus Bam Bam at Mania 11 look like HBK versus Taker at Mania 25.
0: Well, here's the thing, sort of to tie it into that, Mongo and Reggie White were both cornermen of Lawrence Taylor for that match. There you go. So they were both there at WrestleMania 11, and they probably both spoke to each other and said, we could do better than this. One day in WCW, <laughs> we'll put on a five-star classic and show LT who's boss. They did not show LT who was boss with this no. match. Um, two Super Bowl champs wrestling each other, though. That's never happened before.
1: This is true. That was kind of cool. Um, there was a lot of walking around the ring, like them sizing each other up for a bit longer than there should have been.
0: This match was longer than it should have been. If it was only yeah. five minutes, it would have been really cool. It went too long. Reggie White was obviously taught a few impressive moves. You know, a drop kick. I think that was it. But anyway, oh, he did a nice drop kick. He did a nice sleep frog too.
1: I have I've written down here, uh, and you, if you've ever played the the SmackDown games on PlayStation, I've written down Reggie White wrestles like the old SmackDown games, where all you hit is the grapple button. Like, remember, this is this is only him pressing circle. It's only him pressing circle. There's he's nothing n- else.
0: He's not moving. He's not running. He just move, mashes down
1: circle. Occasionally, he do an Irish rip. Occasionally, it connects and he does a drop kick. But most of the time,
0: it's just, he's just pressing circle. But he didn't know how he did the Irish whip. His fingers yeah. slipped, and he could never do it again.
1: <laughs> exactly. But the crowd doesn't really know what to do towards the end, do they? But-
0: I couldn't tell who was meant to be the face because I thought Mongo would be because he was a, a horseman. But then mm. normally you make your celebrity, celebrity the, the face. And they sort of said, oh, we love Reggie White. Like, it was meant to be likable, but it was a confusing mess. There was one point, though, Mongo um, had Reggie White in a hold. And then he said to the camera, Jesus may have your soul, but I got your ass now. And I thought that was a really specific thing. So when I was looking up Reggie White, it was a really cool reference because Reggie White was actually known as sort of a religious leader. So when he was in college, he was an ordained Baptist minister and his nickname in college was the Minister of Defence. And then when he played pro, he became, um, I might be wrong on this, I'm just going to look it up. I don't want to Hmm. offend anyone. But anyway, he became a minister of messianic theology, and he did, like, televangelist films in Israel. (laughs) He he (laughs) produced a half-hour special called A Rude Awakening from Israel and that was hosted by a guy called Michael Rude which is a great wrestling name too. I
1: really really was hoping that it'd be like Rick Rude doing something just to talk.
0: <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, he had this long he he was well known for being religious and he would go on TV shows. And then at another point when Mongo was in a hold he said, all right, all right, I'll go to church, I'll go to church. But then he low-blowed Reggie, and he goes, I hear some church bells ringing now. And I thought, wow, this is what a weird Mongo thing to tie is into like, a wrestling match.
1: Mongo is playing 4D
0: chess here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's super inside Mongo with the, you know, the shoot religious things. So it was weird.
1: It's the most bizarre thing I've ever heard. But, uh, hey, look. Um, Jeff Jarrett gets involved in this too, and it seems like it seems like, um, who's the other dude, the other footballer that stops because we always talk about the briefcase, the Halliburton, as they keep bringing it up. Yeah. So the, the, uh, Mongo goes to use the Halliburton, but that gets taken off by one footy player. Oh, Reggie's mate
0: Dwight, I think his name was.
1: Yeah. I can't remember. to be honest, I couldn't be bothered writing. That one down. <laughs> I didn't write it. Down. I was just like, mate, oh, you're <laughs> generic football player number 12. i for all I care. But um, Jeff Jarrett brings out another briefcase and helps Mongo get the win. This is the part that got me because it's like Mongo cost Jarrett the match earlier. Now they're buddy buddies. What is going on?
0: In one of those dumb wrestling things where it's like a swerve. We were actually friends, even though we were just fighting. Like, I didn't get it, and again, this whole Jeff Jarrett, Mongo, briefcase, Deborah thing, I hate it so much, and I can't Mm. wait for Jeff Jarrett to go back to the WWE. Yeah,
1: Yeah, it's going to be... you want to talk about slow burn for a meal that no one wanted. Uh, that's definitely the Mongo slash Jarrett uh, thing.
0: What did but, Jeff um- Jarrett do in WCW? Seriously, he jumped ship. He got stuck in a two-year feud with Mongo and <laughs> never even paid it off. He was like, oh, I'm going to go back over there. <laughs> like, Yeah. <laughs>
1: That must be why, because, like, we've, as I mentioned, we've spoken to Jeff Jarrett before, and we asked him, like, you know, oh, do you consider yourself a WWE guy or a WCW guy? And he's like, oh, I consider myself a WWE guy. No wonder he considers himself a WWE guy. I disagree with that, because he did much more in
0: WCW, but... Hmm. He's kind of remembered as a WWE guy, but you're right. He probably did more in WCW in both runs.
1: Yeah. They're weird. Well... The best thing, actually, the reason I can say is because basically the character he built in WWF is what he took to WWF, what he took to WCW, added a slapnut shirt on it, <laughs> he replaced Don't Piss Me Off with yeah. Listen Up slapnuts," and then became a world champion.
0: You're, he actually did that twice. So, WWE gave him the gimmick with the straps and the cowboy stuff. He took that to WCW. He's like, will this work? It didn't work. He's like, oh, I'll be back. I'll be back. (laughs) Glennon did the short hair thing. He's like, what about now? And they gave him the world title. (laughs) (laughs) He figured it out.
1: Oh, man. That's brilliant. (laughs) Um, We get on to our next um, match. The main events. Bruce Buffer, not Bruce, Michael Michael Buffer comes out.
0: Bruce is a completely different buffer. Uh, We haven't seen Michael Buffer in a couple of months, have we?
1: No, no, we haven't. Is this the contract uh, bit where he... It was, yeah, the
0: contract (laughs) dispute where he left for a little bit.
1: (laughs) So Clearly, Turner forked out the dollars a little bit to have him do this. But, yeah, it's Hall, Nash and Six versus Kevin Green, Roddy Piper and Ric Flair. Um, Interesting here, uh, Michael Buffer calls them... The NWO Wolf Pack actually says it by name. Which is cool. Which I think is which I think is one of the first times that's actually mentioned on camera and not the traditional Wolf Pack that we know. Or oh, it is the traditional Wolf Pack, the OG Wolf Pack.
0: Yeah. We, how, if, how if, you're watching, if you were watching, if you are watching at the time, this was the Wolf Pack. <laughs> Before six jumped to WWE, this was the Wolf Pack and they broke themselves away from the NWO. They would keep wearing red because the outsiders would wear red still, and they mm-hmm. sort of made it their thing, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah. Which is cool. Before it eventually spun off to the NWO Wolfpack with the, mm. with the, with the music in with the, the, the red Conan. and the black. Yeah, <laughs> and Lex Luger. <Luka. laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but um, now, a question that I wanted to ask you, did they have to dub over t- Kevin Green's music, do you reckon?
0: I thought that too. The audio was really weird. You could somehow still hear Michael Buffer, but the audio was drowning it out. So I thought, what have they done here? Was it not Kevin Green's music?
1: Mm. It might have had like, I don't know, he came in to say buy the Tiger or uh, uh, like a mainstream song that the network went, no, not for Kevin Green. Or the
0: Carolina Panthers fight song or whatever. And they were like, no, we're not playing the NFL. (laughs) <laughs> also, Michael Buffer said, welcome to Slamboree. We've been here for two hours, man. Like, yeah, <laughs> I think he, he only got there at the main event, but mm. yeah, very weird. Uh,
1: yeah, so uh, the building goes absolutely ballistic when Flair comes out. We're very much in Flair country too. I also, also should point out too, I actually quite liked the set for Slamboree. I thought it was cool.
0: Yeah, a lot of that scaffolding sort of look that we would see for the you know classic Monday Night Raw um, mm-hmm. set. So this was sort of a, a precursor to someone in wrestling adopting that look. Actually, then again, Raw kind of looked like that by this point.
1: Yeah, so mm. it's it's there's a lot of cross pollination come yeah. along here. Um, now, Flair and uh, X Pac. I keep writing X Pac in my notes because let's face it. He he can change his name to whatever he wants. He's always going to be X-Pac, but um, Flair and X-Pac begin. X-Pac, this is before his neck injury, so he can still go.
0: Oh, this is so good. This is six almost at his best. He had something to prove in this match. Maybe we'll get into all that backstage stuff after the match. But this match is so good, you know, and and I always talk about this. I tell people about it go watch this match. If you don't think Hall and Nash were good, if you thought, you know, Piper and Flair were too old at this point, go watch this match. To me, this is up there as one of my favourite WCW matches ever. It's one of the rare ones that I can actually remember. I know everyone talks about, oh, what about Hoovy and Kidman? You can't actually remember it. You just know the idea of it. This is a memorable actual match. Up there with the Outsiders and Harlem Heat for me is one of the most fun WCW matches.
1: And you, you're absolutely right too, because the, the crowd absolutely eats off their hand. Everyone plays their role. Kevin Green, unlike uh, what's his name, Reggie White, <laughs> I had to go back and actually find out what the dude's name was. But Kevin Green actually lives up. He's believable in the moves that he does because they're very football sort of related. Uh, like he does a lot of charging, a lot of things like that. But Kevin Green also uh, gets in. He get he. Absolutely manhandles Kevin Nash as well, which goes to show too, Kevin Nash knew how to do business. Like he knew what would get like, like you said, the crowd are so into this match, everyone knows their role, and this is where the tide sort of turns towards WCW. The NWO are getting manhandled in this match.
0: Yeah, and it's from guys who you wouldn't expect, you know, it's not Sting, it's not Luger, it's not the giant, it's Rick Flair, Roddy Piper. And Kevin Green. But it was the mm. right time to do it. You know, they're in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's Ric Flair's comeback. It's WCW's home. This match is virtually perfect.
1: Mm. Uh, we we also see Piper, as I said, I've, I've written down here. He gets his working boots on. Hot tag to Flair. Like, And I don't care what anyone says. Nobody in the business does a better fallaway slam
0: than Scott Hall. Oh, but that's his move. Like, I I know why he does it. Obviously, they're friends. But when Michael Cole says shades of Bradshaw or shades of JBL, it annoys me so much <laughs> because it's Scott Hall's move. No one does it better than him. Like, that's it.
1: Yeah. Um. On the topic of other moves, the Bronco Buster, still an odd move to me.
0: He does a long Bronco Buster. I wanted to talk about that. Six does an especially long Bronco Buster on Ric Flair, and I think there were reasons for it. We'll get into the backstage yep. stuff, but he does it for really long. And then when he gets up, the crowd was chanting the F word at Six. Yep, yep. The really, really bad F word. And I was like, you've let yourself down, North Carolina. North Carolina. I know it was Who'd 1997, have- but still.
1: Yeah, and and it's such a... It's such a cheap heat kind of thing, too. But yeah, look, um, there is an amazing end sequence to this. I love that Nick Patrick comes back, uh, mm-hmm. and Nick Patrick is all of a sudden he's 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 cast off his NWO allegiance. WCW gets the win, and the the thing was, a lot of 1996 we've covered in previous episodes of Reliving the War was the NWO standing tall at the end of the pay per view. WCW is getting getting back; they're building up again, and. This, I really enjoyed this main event.
0: Yeah. They're, they're, uh, go and watch it because the reason why this match is good too, it doesn't feel like a WCW match. And you would hear Eric Bischoff has spoken about this. A lot of the ex-WWE sort of guys would talk about it. WCW didn't know how to do finishes. Their matches also weren't put together in the same way. They didn't have, you know, Pat Patterson. They didn't
1: have Pat Patterson, yeah.
0: That's basically it in terms of putting together a main event match because a main event match is different to a Benoit Malenko cruiserweight match. This one feels like a main event match because you've got Hall, Nash, Six, Piper, Flair. You cannot go wrong with these guys in It doesn't feel like a technical masterpiece. Not about that. This is a story. It's entertaining. It's non-stop. There isn't rest holds. There's nothing no. boring about it. This is a perfect six-man tag. I love it so much, and I'm glad we finally got up to it. One thing yeah, I want it- to say about Tony Schiavone's commentary, two lines. <laughs> yep. At one point he says, oh, in 1993, Ric Flair in this exact arena, he became champion by beating a much bigger man a man who's never been seen again. He's referencing Vader, but don't say Vader's never (laughs) been seen again. like, that's why people hated Tony Schiavone at this time. Then at the end of the match, he says, this is the biggest moment in WCW history. No, it's not. It's
1: clearly not Tony, but it's the greatest night in the history of our sport. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it is. But, uh, all in all, let's quickly touch into the, um, the X-Pac sort of thing because um, six was called six originally because there was a whole bunch of uh, reasons why he was called six. You know, one plus two plus three equals six as a reference to the one, two, three kid is a is a rumor that went through. The most common one
0: is because he was the sixth member of the NWR. And isn't that it? I always thought it's because he was number six.
1: I always thought that was it too, but people often like to go... You know, into the weeds and sort of go. Oh no, it's because it's, it's a reference to the one, two, three kid who it used to be. I'm like, look, that which makes is cool sense
0: as well. too, but either it's it's perfect. But, but
1: in terms of the WCW narrative, it's yeah. the sixth member of the do- of uh, the NWO.
0: Surely. But
1: now, with that, which means in a top ten finish, if we're ranking all of the members of the NWO. It's clearly Hall, Nash, and Hogan. One, two, and three. Nash and Hogan. You could fight over which one gets two, which one gets three. Four giant. Fifth is a DiBiase. Yeah. Now, sixth, six. Now, that on the totem pole puts you just above Vincent. No one's thinking that Vincent's a star. <laughs> Never. <laughs> Essentially, out of the top three, once you put in like Macho Man and guys like that, they started adding more star power to it. Six all of a sudden goes down a little bit more of the rankings here, doesn't he?
0: To me, it overall, if we were doing the power rankings of the NWO, though, it's still Hogan, Hall, Nash, Savage, Six. Yeah, yeah. To me, they are the top NWO guys. Big Show barely counts because he came in and out a couple of times. Scott Steiner came in too late, as good as he was. Buff Bagwell was really good because he grew in the NWO. Mm-hmm. So did Conan. They're sort of the underneath guys. And Scott Steiner, Norton. I suppose. Yeah, Scott Scott Norton was good muscle guy, I suppose. Yeah, but yeah. in terms of legit guys, nah, Six is up there. I'd say he's fourth. Six is yeah, but Six is, is always up there because of but,
1: However, in the eyes, like when you put him, the guy Sean Waltman next to Hogan, Hall, and Nash, purely because he is quote unquote a cruiserweight, and he is like that's basically what you see him as. WCW basically pigeonholed him, and he's got something to prove here, I reckon.
0: Oh, absolutely. Well, that was the thing. We'll, we'll get into the backstage stuff just a little bit because when I was watching this match, a bunch of shoot interview memories started flooding back because this was a really controversial main event. So in, sh- in short, shortest version possible, the other guys, the WCW guys didn't want six in this match because they didn't mm. think he was a big star. This was originally meant to be Hall, Nash, and Hogan. Because remember yep. on the last pay-per-view, Ric Flair even said that. He said, yep. I want you, Hogan. You bring those guys. Hogan was filming a movie at the time. The mm. controversy controversy is, did Hogan not want to do this match because he knew he would have to lose? So he made up the, oh, no, nah, can't scheduling conflict. Yeah, scheduling they conflict, put yeah. six in it. So then the other WCW guys said, no, nah, six shouldn't be in it. And, you know, we're not going to lose to him because both sides had creative mm. control. So it became yeah. this giant mess. And then anyway, and then it became, well, who's going to lose? And the NWO said, you can't beat six. That's too obvious. People will know yeah. that's why he's in the match. So then it became, okay, well, what do we do? And then I think Nash supposedly said, why don't you just beat all three of us in the ring at the same time? That's yeah. what they ended up going
1: with. Which I ended up doing it, which it worked a trick.
0: Which worked really, really well. And, you know, Piper didn't want to work with Six and Ric Flair didn't want to work with him. And anyway, and then after the match, they ended up getting into a backstage fight because Kevin Nash thought Roddy Piper tried injuring him for real. Mm. So backstage, they both tell different versions. Roddy Piper claims that he dove on Nash's leg and took him down and threw him out of the locker room. Kevin Nash's version, which is backed up by Sean Waltman and a few other guys, is that, no, Nash walked in there and said, did you try to injure me? Roddy Piper stood up and Kevin Nash opened and slapped him <laughs> and basically knocked him out. And that's the version that is more agreed upon. But then years later in 2014 on Roddy Piper's podcast, he went on a rant and said, no, nah, I took down Nash. Nash is a, you know pansy, he could never beat me. And then Nash went on a Twitter rant saying, you lying son of a this and that. And Jeez. anyway, basically said, you know, invite me on your show and I'll, you know, slap you again. And <laughs> it was just a mess. But anyway, when it came time to do business, the NWO guys made those three guys look as good as possible.
1: Mm. Yeah. Hell yeah. The NWO, this is the weakest you've seen the NWO look like, which also feeds into the, if we go by, you know, the, politician that hulk hogan is it makes him look really good because it's kind of like without hulk you know you don't have anything because that's the narrative that they're building here too hulk is the glue that keeps the nwo a winning powerhouse
0: yeah that's true actually sort of a um because if you
1: notice any paper that doesn't have hulk as face of the nwo the nwo is to rabble the nwo like they they, and this is this is an a storyline that is put on camera the NWO becomes a rabble without Hulk Hogan.
0: Is that almost a, an, a backstage sort of subtext, subliminal message thing that Hogan knew would happen? I'm not on the show, so the NWO lost. So even if you don't like the NWO, you still think, ah, but if they had Hogan, they might have won. They might have won. Yeah, yep. Yeah. That's Hogan. Hogan. Even when he's not around, he's still the... <laughs> The focus. Hogan
1: Hogan apparently, and I'm not sure how true this is, would often take big hiatuses. Coincidentally, um, when like there was a big Monday Night Football match, because when he's not there, then the ratings are down. Then the following week, when he comes, and it's a lesson, like you know, I don't know Monday Night Football in the in the NFL too well, but then he gets there's an equivalent BS sort of game, like a tier two sort of game. All of a sudden, he comes back that week, ratings go up. It's like, see, brother, I'm just a ratings magnet,
0: man. The rumour was that Triple H would do the same in the early 2000s. He would line up his days off and returns with the football games and the ratings to say, hey, who bought that rating? It was me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So there's a lot of that going on. But uh, let's let's overall get into our thoughts of the paper here because I thought this was fantastic. As I mentioned, a good main event can can really erase the sins of a bad pay-per-view because I thought the main event was great. I loved the Regal match as well. Can't really remember too much more of the highlights (laughs) to be honest, but I still give this pay-per-view a thumbs up.
0: Ernest Miller doing his spin kicks, that gets a thumbs up from me. Um, Meng and Benoit is pretty good, and normally I don't rate the Benoit matches on these (laughs) pay-per-views, but that one was a good one. The main event, though, again, yeah. A good main event can save a bad show, but a bad main event can ruin a good show. Yeah. This good main event is as good as it gets for WCW. I'll I'll be shocked if we see a better pay-per-view match for the rest of 97 for WCW. This was great. One of the best ever. Hall, Nash, and X-Pac at their best.
1: Definitely. And really, everyone had their working shoes on. There was no real sort of... And I think, too, the fact that it helped, too, that they're in North Carolina. They're in flair country. So, yeah. This was always going to be good. Yeah. Loved it. Um, But yeah, that about wraps up another edition of Reliving the War. Our next episode is going to be King of the Ring 1997, which kind of brings this podcast full circle as we celebrate a year of Reliving the War here live on the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network. And uh, I'll tell you what, Simon, it's gone by pretty quick.
0: I know. I can't believe it's been a year of doing this. It's flown by. We've <laughs> we've lived a whole year of the Attitude Era, and it does make me feel like a kid again. If you lived through this like we did, hopefully you're loving it. If you have no idea what we're talking about, but this has made you check out these shows, that's even better because when we've had guests on who didn't live through this the first time, it's so good hearing their reactions, and we hope you're feeling the same if you didn't you know, watch this week to week like we did.
1: Even our guests that did watch it week to week uh, that come on and uh, join us for an episode often sort of say like, wow, I forgot how, like, it sort of relives a whole, well, that's the whole point of this. We <coughs> relive these memories, and uh, which is really, really cool to see.
0: Yeah, and I think what we're going to have to do, because we did say we're, you know, a year in in terms of the shows, we've sort of fallen behind a little bit, so we're going to try mm-hmm. and cram some episodes and we want to catch back up because, This works at its best when we're in the month of that year. So we're going to try and catch up. There's going to be a lot of shows, but what else is there to do? Let's be honest. Let's just watch (laughs) some old wrestling and relive the good times.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So, King of the Ring, nineteen ninety-seven, is coming very, very shortly. Make sure you follow Grey Wolf Entertainment on all the socials, and you can check out uh, when this latest episode drops. Grey Wolf E N T on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. In fact, Grey Wolf got a brand new show. Talk about scratching that nostalgia itch. A brand new episode, uh, a brand new series of podcasts with Ned and Johnny called "We're Old Now." which basically sums up uh, the nostalgia of uh, pop culture geeks like you and myself, Simon. But uh, make sure you check that out. Make sure you keep an eye on the socials. And, Simon, it's King of the Ring 1997 next. I wonder who wins that tournament.
0: doesn't matter who wins. The main event, Shawn Michaels versus Steve Austin. I cannot wait to watch that again. I have not seen it in a very long time.
1: should be really cool. But, yeah, we'll see you next time on another edition of Reliving the War.